So the right motivation means a lot when it comes from the right heart and the right attitude. When you have the right motivation, things change. Things are different. And as we we talk about motivation with our spiritual gifts, we, as as Pastor Mark talked about last week, and we're going to continue this conversation about your spiritual gifts, that there was a problem going on with the Corinthian church, that they were were starting to pick favorites and saying, oh, this is is the amazing gift of God, and, and they were elevating certain gifts above others, and and they were arguing, and they were being upset, and this is where, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has to explain that we're all one body, and that each part is very, very important, and we should all be valued and concerned for the well-being of each other, that we need to function well together. And so he, he goes in, and that leads us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so if you want to go there, and go ahead and turn to your Bibles, we're going to stay there today, and we're going to... Um, uh, go there, and uh, as I was telling Pastor Mark that I was just going to stay in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, he said, "Well, you know what that is? That's, that's ex- expository uh, preaching." And I, I, I was like, "Well, I hope it's not like expository surgery." <laughs> but anyhow, um, what we're looking at here today is this First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, which we all kind of hear and know as the love chapter. And as we, we talk about this love chapter, first we need to kind of understand the intention of this chapter. Why is it there? What's the significance of it? Yes, it's a beautiful picture of what love is. And that is important for us to keep in mind. And, and like many of us pastors, I've used this for weddings and ceremonies and everything. But I want us to understand the true intention of why it's placed here in the midst of everything that's going on with this Corinthian church. Paul wants to use this illustration and this definition of love to help us understand the true motivation to use our spiritual gifts. If we're going to use the gifts that God has given us and the spiritual gifts that we may learn, maybe you've been through Pastor Mark's class, maybe you've heard about spiritual gifts, each one, when we accept Christ, are given a gift to use to the edification and the encouragement and to the blessing of the body of Christ. We're here to use our gifts and our talents to help each other out. But what Paul is concerned about is the motivation behind the gift. See, if there is no proper motivation to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities that God has given you, they're useless, really. Because now, even if God gives you a gift to use for, for others, we as human beings can choose how we use that gift. And it can be for a, a positive blessing for people, or it could be something that could be a downfall for people. In other words, we're still given that ability to choose right and wrong in the midst of using our gifts that God has given us. And so we can hurt people with our gifts. We can destroy people with our gifts. We can also encourage and edify people with our gifts. And so as we dive into this motivation, we're going to look at each verse separately. And then I'll do a little recap as we go through each verse. But uh, I'll do a little recap every three or, or two verses. I'll do a little recap. So in the first verse, this is what it says. If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
So one of the gifts that was being elevated, and more importantly to all the others, was the gift of speaking in tongues. Now we may, some of us may differ on how we view tongues. Uh, Some of us may believe that tongues was used as a way that's communicating the gospel to other people. Uh, As we see on the day of Pentecost, when Peter spoke and talked, different people heard him speak in their own language at the same time. And we also know that some people believe that speaking in tongues is to uh, give a revelation of God doing something and that you have to have an interpreter to say that. No matter where we feel about tongues or where we, our own per, our personal convictions lie, this is the thing that Paul's getting at. He's saying if the motivation is wrong, if you're doing this for a selfish reason, if you're doing this to boast in yourself, if you're doing it to make yourself look important, if you're doing it to be able to show people what, how cool you are, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Your, your purpose in doing it is wrong. If your motivation is wrong, then it's useless. It's useless. It's like having a noisemaker, a sounding gong. You're saying a lot of things, but the motivation is purely not in the right. If you do that, it's just noise. If your heart is not in the right place, if you are doing it to make yourself look great or cool or you're trying to build yourself up in some way, this is just a, a noisemaker, just a clashing of cymbals, just a gong that's just ringing out, but it makes no difference. Again, you want to stress the important for us to understand that these gifts can be used for good, but they can also be used for evil, evil intent, to puff yourself up, to make yourself look great, to make yourself look important. And he goes on in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So interesting how we can gloss over passages and we can kind of read what we think. And as I read this one, and I'll read the next one here in a second, I kind of put those two together. But really it's saying something uh, unique here and and it's going to be a difference in what we're going to see in verse 3. Because at the end he says, if I don't really care, if I don't really want to change the world and make a difference and care about people. If I don't have the right heart or the motivation, it's useless. I can gain all the knowledge. I can know every scripture. I can know every verse to the T. I can have all this wisdom. I can have all the faith to move a mountain. But I have no love. I am nothing. There's no value in me. The value is not in the acts or the gaining of knowledge or the gaining of wisdom. It's not in those things It's in the motivation of love. If you don't have love applied to those things, those things do not have value. In verse 3, if I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Sometimes, it's unfortunate, but sometimes people give for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people give 
to make it look like they're doing something great. This is the problem with, you know, many of us at times where we want to give ourselves a pat on the back and think, well, I'm really sacrificing my time. I've dedicated my time to the church. I've, I've, I've given up all these things, and I, I make such a huge sacrifice. I, I, I give all everything I have. And we can make these huge claims of, of that we've suffered. We've been through it. We've been through hardships. We've done all these, these amazing things. But it tells us that if there is no love inside of that, if there wasn't any love that was associated to that sacrifice, that gift, that giving, then it has nothing. You gain, and this is the difference. It's, you know, my mind was kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of similar to the second verse. Well, no, it's different because this says you gain nothing. The one that we just talked about says I am nothing. I haven't really added value to my life. This is saying I haven't gained any possessions. I haven't gained anything from that. If I do it for the wrong motives, I haven't gained anything from that. And again, we go back to the motivation is love. Love should always be our motivation when we do things. And this is the part, this is, as I go through these verses, this is the part that really should convict us. This should convict us. Because I don't know about you, but when I really look at what he's saying here, and I think about my own life, there are so many times I do things to get a certain result out of somebody else. I'm not doing it because I really have love in my heart. I may do it because I'm expected to do that. I may do it because that's what I feel like is the right thing to do. But the heart, the love, isn't always there. And that should convict us as Christians. Because we are called to love. We are called to do things out of the motivation of love. And our church statement, the thing that we talk about, the mission statement that we share each week and we talk about is to love and lead people into a life-changing decision for Christ or a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The first thing we need to be about is love. And that's where, that's where it really matters. See, all these things we think we want to do or these things we want to, you know, do in the church or all these things that we want to give up and all these things we want to give and do and all these, all these things you think about in your own life that you want, to, you want to make a difference. What are you saying here? Whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever things that God has given you, if you don't do them with the measure of love that God wants you to have in your heart for other people... You're doing it for naught. You're doing it for selfish reasons. And this should convict us. This should help us to kind of keep in mind of where we're headed, where we're going. So to sum this up with my little slide here, and I left out the second or the, the second one. It says, without love, it's just noise. And you gain nothing. And you are nothing. I can use all my talents. You know, thankfully, I can't sing. But of course, with the spiritual gifts, maybe there's, 
maybe, I'm a, maybe one of my gifts is encouragement. Maybe one of my gifts is preaching. Uh, but you, each one of us have wonderful gifts that when we came to Christ, God has bestowed upon you to use. And what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't do it, use it for the proper motivation and the proper reason, out of love, out of heart, of, of just love, you're not doing it for the right. You're not doing it for the good. And the reason why he picks those three, the reason why he picked out tongue, and he picked out prophecy, and he picked out, um, you know, sacrifice, is because these were the ones that were being elevated by the church of Corinth. These were the ones that were being raised up higher than all the others. These were like, well, if you love Jesus or if you love God, then these things need to be evident. And these things need to be shown. And the people that do these things, they're greater than everybody else. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. And that's where it brings us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are one body. And when we have love as a body of believers, when we have love motivating us to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities, and we're willing to make a sacrifice out of love, that changes the world. That changes the culture of our church. That helps the body to grow. We can be more of what God has called us to be when our motivation is love and we use our gifts that God has given us. So now we put, move on to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and we start this definition of love. It's interesting because as we think about this definition of love, of course, this love is the unconditional love. This is, this is love that, that God wants us to understand that is unconditional. It's not setting requirements. It's, it's a love that, that doesn't measure up. It's a love that's given without receiving most of the time. It's a love that doesn't require a back and forth. This is a love that's unconditional that just gives. This is the love that God wants us to have. In the Greek, this is the word agape. This is the unconditional love that we should have for each other. The tenderness that we should have. The love and respect that we should have for each other. And as I've done, and, and as I want to maybe have you do today to think about this, one, we can put God's name in the place of love because we know that God is love. First John tells us that, that God is love. God equals love. And so we can put God's name in there and say God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. We can do that with God. But the thing that may be really a challenge for all of us to do today is to insert our name in there. If you inserted Eric in there, or you inserted your name in there, then it gives greater context, doesn't it? Because can I ask myself, is Eric patient? Is Eric kind? Does Eric envy? Eric does not boast. Eric is not proud. Another thing that's very interesting is that there's seven, these are all adjective words that we can look at here, and there's seven words that love is, and there's seven that love is not. They're mixed in there. I'm not going to pull them out for you. You can do that on your own maybe, but I find that very interesting as we think about this. There are seven adjectives that describe what love is, and there's seven adjectives that describe what love is not. 
And so as we look at this, we need to look at our own life and say, are we these things? I just want to highlight a few of them because as I think about it, you know, am I patient? There's so many times where we can be very impatient with people. And we are called to be Christians. In the Gospel of John, we, we are going to be known, Jesus' disciple is known by the love that we have. We are his disciples. There are people who are going to recognize the love that we have in our heart. And am I patient with people? During this Christmas season, are you patient with those that are in line in front of you? Are you trying to jump the line? Are you trying to get avoid the line? Are you patient with people? Are you patient with the workers that work at the grocery store, the, the people that wait upon you in the service of food? Do we, are we willing to be patient? Are we willing to show people with patience? But, but I want to go to even more of the fact that it's even harder sometimes to have that in the church, that we're patient with people. We're so easy to, to get upset with somebody, but are we patient with them? Are we giving opportunity for them to grow? Are we giving them opportunity to learn? But yet we expect a certain level of obedience. We expect a certain level of being able to be confident, but we don't give a chance for growth to happen. Are we kind? Is our first reaction to say hello to somebody, to show kindness? I know it's easy for me to get busy. It's easy for all of us to get busy. But are we showing kindness? Are we showing that we care about people? Are we taking the time to, to say, hey, hello to a child? Or we just speak to the adults in the room? It does not envy. Love does not envy. This is a big thing because a lot of us do this. We, we sometimes put things on people and we are envious of what they have. So we don't show love because, well, I wish I had that car. I wish I had that house. Well, you got this and you got that. So I'm going to be envious of what you have. And that breaks down our heart. It breaks down the love that we should have for people because we think they have something that we should have. That's where we covet and go against the commandment. So we covet other people's things instead of being satisfied with what God has given us, recognizing that God is the one that bestows and gives the greater gift. It does not boast. Love does not boast. And so many times, it's easy to brag on ourselves and say, oh, you're, you're doing such a great job. You're, you're, you're doing such a good thing. The, the, the church couldn't function without you. Uh, you know, you, you, you make everything happen here, and, and you, you deserve all the credit. That's a lie from Satan. Satan is causing you to start thinking that way. And when you start thinking that way, you start elevating yourself that you think you're better than everybody else. And that is no room for the love of God being displayed in your heart when you start thinking you deserve better and you brag about all the things you've done it is not proud and that goes along with boasting but it's this this idea that I kind of alluded to at that last part that you start getting so proud of what you do you don't give a chance for other people to have a room in in your life because you're proud that's beneath you those people are beneath you that's too low. You can't serve like that. You can't make a sacrifice like that. That's beneath you. Looking at the next verse, verse 5. It does not dishonor others. Wow. 
How many times have we dishonored somebody? As I look at my ministry, there was, I've had the opportunity to apologize, but there's been some people in my youth groups that I felt like I dishonored, and I was able to go back to them and say, you know what, I wasn't my best that day, and I dishonored you. It's so easy to do something in front of somebody and, and make a comment or, or say something to them, and, and you realize that was, that was just cutthroat. That was, that was not needed. Maybe you were just thinking you were teasing, but you know the heart of it was not right. And you dishonored them. One of the things I think God wants us, why God wants us to honor our father and mother is for us to realize that. To realize honoring somebody is important in life. You know, we can joke, we can have a good time, but if it's at the cost of somebody's feelings, if it's at the cost of somebody's growth in Christ, why would we want to do that? When we talk about somebody behind their back, we complain about somebody. What is that accomplishing? We don't really do what scripture teaches us to go to somebody and tell them how we feel. We go back their, behind their back and share the disgust or the things that we're disappointed with, but we don't go to the person directly and say, hey, I, I have some issues here and I want to gain my brother back, so I'm going to tell you that I've been hurt. See, it's not the person that sins that's called to, to do the right thing. It's the person that's been sinned against is called because out of love, we go to that person, we tell them, hey, there's some issues here. I care about you. I care about the process of going forward. It is not self-seeking. It, keeps no easy, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I don't know about you, but keeping records of wrongs it's sometimes hard. It's hard in a, in a family situation where you have your kids, you, you have your spouse. It's easy to hold those records and, and well, well I, you did this to me and you did that to me. But that's not the heart of love. The heart of love is, is wanting to, to care for that person, wanting to be there for that person. It's not keeping a record of wrong. That should be our heart. It's not, you know, our heart, if we get to the place where we're writing everything down and we're saying all these things that this person's done to me and saying, oh, I can't love this person because of all these reasons, then we're, we're going to be, we're, we're, we're standing on the wrong side of things. That's not what we're about. That's not what we should be about. We shouldn't be making a list of reasons why we shouldn't love somebody. Well, I can't care for them because they did this, 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 this. See, love, even if you've been wronged, even if you've been hurt, even if you've been, you know, it doesn't mean that you still allow, just like my situation with my dad, it doesn't mean that we have to stay in that relationship and my dad continues to abuse me. But if I continue to hold this grudge against my dad and don't have forgiveness in my heart to forgive my dad for all the things he's done in my life, where do I stand? Where is the love? It keeps no records of wrongs. I pray every day that my dad will know Jesus Christ and I'll see him in heaven. And hopefully I'll be able to know and trust that my dad has been changed by Christ. The love should be there. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. See, a lot of times, you know, when we, when we think we're using our gifts for the wrong, when we, use, when we use our gifts for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives, we delight in evil. We're excited to see that person fail. We're excited when they fall apart. We're excited when something flops and goes the wrong direction. We get excited. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, see? You got that, yeah, right? That's not love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Love wants truth. Love desires honesty. And this is important in a marriage. It's important in relationships, but it's also, and what the intention of Paul writing this is for the church. It's for us. As believers, for us as an organization here that represents Christ on earth, we're here as the body to represent love. And if we have no love in our heart for each other, well, then everything we do is wrong. Everything we do is for the wrong motive and the wrong purpose. If we don't have love first, then it doesn't matter. And to prove my point, we'll go further and we'll see. But here's, as we end this, it's just this encouraging, as we see this always. It's really, it's really cool poetry that, as, as, as Paul wrote this out, it's a little different wording than he used in chapter 12 and he's going to use in chapter 14. He takes real time here to really establish this. And he says, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Wow. Going back to this thing, God always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. Do I, does Eric always protect? Does Eric always trust? Does Eric always hope? As I think about these, I think about hope as being a, we need to give that more credence because hope is, hope is important because sometimes it was raising kids you don't know how they're going to turn out, right? You worry about them. You're concerned about them. You're scared for them. You think about them. But I think it's always important as a, as a father or a mother to always have hope that there could be a change, that there could be a difference made, that no matter what you face, and, and as, as a pastor, I know this is Pastor Mark's heart and my heart, is our hope is that we continue to grow. That no matter what difficulties that we face as a church, we'll continue to move forward, and our hope is that we have Christ. No matter what we face, no matter how dark it may be or how we may be attacked at times or people may say things that hurt our feelings, that there's this hope that Christ can change things, that love can endure, that the love that you show it's not going to go void. That love matters. It always hopes and it always perseveres. Love should be our motive. Love should be the thing that helps us 
When we look at using our gifts, when I look at the way I, I may preach or I may do the gifts that God has given me, when, when you look at the gifts of helps or the gift of encouragement or the, the other gifts that we can talk about, the spiritual gifts that we can go on about, as you look at the things that God has given you to use for him, their motivation, the reason why you want to use that gift the reason why you want to do that thing is because you have a love in your heart. You have a love for God. You have a love for others. And you want to make a difference in this world because of the great abundance of love that you have inside of you that you want to share. You want to give. You're not using your gifts or talents to receive something back, but out of the abundance of love in your heart, you want to make a difference in this life. Love should be our motivation to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us for his kingdom. And if we don't have love, we go back to you are nothing, you have gained nothing, you are just a noisy maker. You're not really adding value. And it's interesting because he starts the passages with that thought in first, second, and third verse. And now as we close with this chapter, he's going to reinforce that whole idea again. He's going back to it. He's given us the definition in the middle here of what love is all about. And he's going to close it like a bookend and say, I've said it at the beginning. I'm saying it again. Love is what matters. In verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. In other words, there's only so much prophecy that's going to be taken care of because at one day it's going to be done. It's going to be over. They will cease. There will be an end to prophecies. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. One day there won't be any more conversation needed. Then one day there won't be any more words to have to say. They'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, all this wisdom, all this thing that you think you need to know, it will pass away because one day we will be in the presence of all the knowledge. We'll be in the presence of all the language. We'll be in the presence of all the completed prophecy that was ever said about Jesus. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is, what is in part disappears. What does he mean by that? He's talking about all these things, these gifts, these talents, these abilities that God has given them. They're meant for a short period of time. They're meant for to be used in this life that we're given upon the earth. If you don't use your talent, if you don't use the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you, you're missing out because now is the time to use this. One day there won't be any need for these gifts that God gives these are to be a testament of God. These are to be used to show Christ. But yet, if it doesn't come from the aspect of love, there's no reason for them. It's a pretty bold statement that Paul is making here, but this is what he's saying. He's saying that these things will pass away. These things will be gone. Again, pass away and disappear is what we want to drive home today. These things will just disappear. These things will be no more. So use the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you. But make sure it comes from the heart of love. Lastly here, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It's not the last thing. I apologize. We're next to last. Verse 11, it says, and I think this is interesting. I'm so thankful that Paul wrote, wrote the verses instead of me because I would have just said, grow up. That would have been my verse. <laughs> verse 11 would have just said, grow up. Right? Maybe you're somebody you're like with me. and Maybe that's not showing patience and kindness. I don't know. <laughs> But Paul says it this way. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away child, childhood behind me. What he's talking about here is this, this strife, this infighting that's going on that the Corinthian church is facing. And, and we're not, this is not something that's new. Every church goes through issues. Every church goes through conflict. Every church faces difficulties. But what he's saying here is he's saying, look to the higher thing. Have some maturity about you. Don't fight over things that are trivial, like these gifts that God gives. It's not about the gifts as much as about the motivation. It's about the love. You have to first have love in your heart to use your gift. And, he, and he's wanting to make sure that we understand that, to take it seriously, have some maturity about you, have some discipline in you to realize that your, your gift is great and it's fantastic and it doesn't, it doesn't make you better than somebody else. Every gift is important. Every gift is needed. And it should all be used for the edification and the growth of the body of Christ. That we can continue our mission of telling people about the good news about Jesus Christ. That Christ came and he died on a cross because of his great love for us. So we need to be loving each other, caring for each other, have a little bit more maturity in us to make sure that happens. Verse 12, it says this, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Very interesting uh, illustration here. Because what he's saying is, is, you know, me and you, the hard part in this life is, is I just see the outside. I just see reflections. I don't really, I don't, you know, there's some people I really feel like I know well, but I can't know you to the full. I don't know who you really are because I can't see the inside of you. See, God knows the inside of your heart. He knows, he knows what's inside there. He knows your intent. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. He knows whether you're thinking about a lunch or is Eric ever going to shop talking or, you know, he knows what's going on inside of you right now at this moment. He knows us. But in this life, for me, I just see reflections. I just see that mirror reflection. I just see glimpses of things. And sometimes I see love and sometimes I may not with people. Sometimes I may display love. And there might be other times where I display a bad reflection. It says, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then, he's talking about in the future, knowing being with Christ, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is talking about the fact that one day, one day he's going to, all this all of this crazy noise of life where we get distracted about the wrong things, where we get consumed with what, what people have or what people are doing or you know, how we're impacted by it or how that person offended me or, or how this didn't 
work out the way I want it. And, you know, the, the, I, I should be respected because I give all this time and I make this huge sacrifice. And we're trying to make people look at us. And we lose the heart of what we should have. We lose the, the heart of being fully known because one day we will be fully known. And God's going to take all that other noise around us. And we're just going to stand before God. And he's going to look at our motivation. He's going to look at our heart. This is the last verse. For 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says this. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, again, what Paul is helping, wanting us to understand is in the end, there's only going to be three things that are going to stand out. You know, I want to say this too, because a lot of times, even though I know we're a Baptist church, we don't believe in works. But how many things do we do based on works? How many things do we think about all the time about all the good we do? And like, we base it on works. Like I did this, I did that, I, I come to church, I, I read my Bible, I, I'm a, you know, I study the word, and, you know, I do all these things. Paul says only three things remain. Only three things remain. And the three things are faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things that remain. It's about your faith in God and your faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. It's hope. A hope and a resurrection that one day, you will be with God. When your death comes, that you will be right there with Jesus. The last thing, love will be measured. Love. And this goes back to what Jesus tells us all the time when he was asked several times, what are the most important things that I need to do? What's the greatest commandments? What's the greatest things that God wants from me? What is Jesus' response over and over and over again? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't say any other commandments. He didn't need to. You know why? Because if love is your motivating factor, if the reason why you get up out of your bed in the morning and the reason why you go and do the things you do, if the motivation is clear that you love, that you love God, that you love your neighbor, then you are being an obedient child of God. All these things that we think we do with our life, just like me, how many messages have I preached at this church and how many messages are just for God? God has given me the gift of preaching. But how many messages will be ever remembered? I hope they're not. I hope they're not. The reason why is because that's not what's important. In the sense that, yes, it's, it's important for me to use my gift and my talent and my thing that God has given me. But if it's not rooted in the love that I have. I'm not going to be measured by my messages. I'm going to be measured by the love that I had in my heart 
Because Paul says, but the, but the greatest of these is love. Last thing I want to share, and this goes along, and I want to make sure we do an invitation, but this Christmas Eve, we're, gonna, we're asking you uh, as, as a family to maybe do something a little different. We're going we're gonna to give out at, at the welcome desk, there's these handouts that are going to be available. And this was something I did with my kids uh, years ago, and, and we talked about it. We thought it would be kind of neat. And so what they have to do is a family or a household. You don't have to have kids to do this. I think that oftentimes we think about Christmas, we're thinking about giving gifts to everybody else, but, but it's Jesus' birthday we're celebrating, and, and what gift do we give Jesus? So what we're going to do is give this little handout, and you can get a little box, and you can make your own thing. You can use the ones that are listed here, but there's one box that you can create your own. Is there something that you can give Jesus this Christmas? And say, Jesus, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you something that I feel laid on my heart to give you. Maybe it's your gift that you've been given, your spiritual gift. Maybe it's a talent that you're not really using that you should be using for God. Maybe it's something you need to sacrifice and give up and say, God, I put the, too much priority on this, and I want to give you this this year and say, I'm not going to pursue this as much. I'm going to, I'm going to give that to you, Lord. Maybe it's even something that you're holding on to that you're not even willing to let God have. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that you want to see happen and you're saying, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you with that. And you write that down. So there's a little box there at the bottom that gives you a chance to write your own. But you cut that out. You put it in your little box and you put it under the Christmas tree. as just a, just a way. It's, it's nothing fancy. It's, it doesn't really matter. if you. I mean, I, again, the heart of this is, again, just like everything else, does it come out of the heart of motivation? The heart of love. So we just want a, a family conversation, a household conversation, wherever you are this Christmas Eve, to just think about what you can give Jesus in the coming year. As we go back and talk about the last thing we talked about, these three things will remain. Faith, hope, love. As you think about your, your life and as we have a song of invitation, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to make sure that you are doing it for the right reasons, that you have the right motivation, that you love, and your love is seen by others. Let's stand. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they'll come to know you. Lord, I thank you, thank you so much of your love impacting my life, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you just help us to have a love for each other, to love you more than ourselves, to love others more than ourselves. That the things we do is out of that heart, out of that direction that we allow you to be seen by what we do with the love that we have in our heart. In your name we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.